Well, uh, we will probably see here over the Christmas period uh, a mixture of road traffic accidents, people who take an overdose of drugs or alcohol, various forms of assault, and acute illnesses such as heart attacks, uh, etc., strokes, things of this nature. The children keep asking when is daddy coming home? And I keep saying that he'll be home soon. First you had the, I suppose you had the troubles and all that sort of stuff. Christmas from, well, this past four years has been different, but to us it'll be different uh, because, uh, well, the more is not in the house now, you know. They think, like, if I'm writing to anybody, that's I'm writing to Daddy and any letters that come or anything, like, they'll say, is this from Daddy? And I just say yes, you know. A happy Christmas and a prosperous new year. For you and me, perhaps, some of us have no chance of that, and yet more are unlikely to see it. Good tidings of comfort and joy, says the carol. Little comfort for the destitute, the lone old, the bereaved. Good tidings for those whose nearest and dearest are away unavoidably, emigrated or incurably ill, perhaps, imprisoned or detained. Little joy for those whose lives or whose families' lives are beset with disease. Peace on Earth is a one hope in the Middle East, the Far East, Africa, Latin America, even North America, not to mention Belfast and Derry. Goodwill to men, the miners, the governments, the oil shakes, the colonels, the terrorists, the army? What about goodwill to the men who desert their wives? And I was often sitting up at night waiting on them to come in and eat, arrive in maybe about three o'clock. Then I was getting the feeling of it. And then all of a sudden, he didn't return home. So from there now, I haven't seen him since. Which with the children, as you know, the children keep asking when is daddy coming home. And I keep saying that he'll be home soon. They think he's doing a tour. He used to do tours few years ago and they think he's doing a long tour and I say to them he'll be back soon because I expect him back. I have the feeling that he will and they just, I don't know, I do get depressed about it and I feel it. People like come in to you and are helping you but it's not the same. I'm trying to keep the best side out with the children. But, as you know, I can't give them what they want. The girls has me pressed and for certain ties they want and the boys, but they just can't have them. I'd love to give it to them. But I try to make them as happy as possible. They don't know nothing. I won't in don't intend to let them know. There is a couple of neighbours know about us. They said to me I'd never take him back if he came back. But I don't feel that way. Like, he wasn't bad to me. No, he wasn't bad to the children. He loves them. 
if he thinks of the children at all, that he will write to them or he'll let us see that he's thinking of them. Couldn't possibly give them what they want. We have got a lot of help from family, you know. I suppose Christmas morning will be the time I'll tell the tale, really, you know what I mean? I suppose I'll be lonely myself, then answering the children's questions, you know? It's their first Christmas without him, really, and they've always been used to him coming down the Christmas tree like the ties, you know? But um, I think once the children have their mother, really, they'll get by. What ages are they Eleven, ten. Nine, eight, and a year and a half. Well, you seem to have um, come to terms with it very well, like, you know. Well, I have now, but in the beginning, I didn't really, you know. Like I said, your whole world crumbles. I feel everybody's against you. I feel when you go to people, like, you're looking for something, and then, like, you just adjust yourself to managing your money, sending the children to school, and... Rearing them the best way you can, really, on your own. It's hard <clears throat> to rear five children on your own. Well, he told me, he came to me himself and told me I was expecting our last baby. And uh, he told me that he, would, he was leaving and going with her. But he didn't actually go then. He waited until um, the baby was six months. And then he went. And we haven't really heard from him since. We miss him, you see. They think he's just working away. And they think, like, if I'm writing to anybody, that I'm writing to Daddy and any letters that come or anything, like, they'll say, is this from Daddy? And I just say yes, you know? They don't, they don't think, like, you know? Well, we'll go to my parents' house for Christmas because uh, we wouldn't stay, like, on our own, you know? Um. Well, it'll be easier this year, I think, you know, than last year. It was very depressing. It's terrible Christmas last year because he'd only just gone, you know. Mm. Well, this year he sent everything, you see, for them. And, like, I think um, the children are made up, you know, because uh, I was glad for their sakes, you know. And then it saved me the few bob, anyway. Mm. And it, they've also gotten things like that I probably wouldn't have been able to afford, you know. Some nice things. Like, before he left, he um, took all the photographs of the children and that, and... Um, he took all the dates of births and that he'd said he'd write to the children, you know? But he didn't really. Well, the first time he lived about four years ago, mm. he was carrying on with this married woman. And then I got to know about it, you know, and he said he wouldn't do it anymore, so I took him back four or five times. He still said they used to stay at the weekend and uh, So then he used to get drunk and come in and break up the place and that. Uh, so, and I have, I had three children after that for him. The last time I was pregnant, I knew he was carrying on with this travelling girl. And um, he come back again. I haven't seen him for the last five months. But I really think I'm better off without him now. You know, the children are more settled and they're not afraid to go to sleep or eat at the table or that, you know, where they used to be when he was there. Yeah, well, uh, how many children have you got? Twelve. Okay. Twelve children. And the eldest is what? The eldest is 14. And the youngest? The youngest is five months. Mm. Well... Like, they seem to have enough now for this Christmas, you know. But it wasn't always so like that. Just that I have the uh, concern to help me, you know. Emotionally, what we would expect is that people would want to see the husband coming home, but that can cause its own problems. 
Frank Crummy is a social worker with the ISPCC. Frank, do the husbands come home at Christmas? Uh, it happens, but it's likely to happen more so on the first Christmas after desertion than on later ones. And the woman, the deserted wife, has geared herself and her children to coping with Christmas on their own. And at the last minute, it happens that the husband can turn up. Now, this creates a trauma in the family, as well as, in some cases, damaging her future uh, as regards the deserted wives' allowance because he has turned up. Now, this would be worthwhile if the likelihood was that he was going to retake his place in the family as the husband and as the father, but shortly after Christmas, he's away again and she has to then wait another six months to qualify for a deserted wives allowance. Is this a, a mark of some form of sentimentality on the part of the husband? Yes, or? I think this applies not only to the wife uh, who has this problem. The problem with the deserted wife is an ongoing problem, not just at Christmas, but as Christmas approaches, uh, so does the crisis, particularly the first Christmas in her life, in the sense that she wants to make it as good a Christmas for her children as it is for the children next door. And the children at this stage are probably asking, is Daddy coming home for Christmas? She may have convinced him that Daddy is in the country and is going to have to stay in the country for Christmas. So, having coped with this problem, then if Daddy in fact turns up unexpectedly and often uh, ends up in a row on Christmas night, well then it's caused more problems than it's going to solve. But this only happens in some cases. In the other case, uh, the wife wants to do the best for her children she certainly wants to do as well for them as has been done for the children on the other children on the street and therefore the temptation at christmas time to go into debt that normally she would realize she can't cope with and this is credited shops credit, or higher purchase, purchase to get her over the christmas and then after the christmas of course the anticlimax comes and she realizes she's up to her neck in debt and just can't cope so that there is a greater temptation at christmas to go into debt and there would be throughout the year. As I say, well, it's an ongoing problem. And as regards the children themselves, children are bound to suffer because they hear the other children on the street talking about what Daddy is getting them for Christmas, Daddy will be home for Christmas, Daddy's taking part in all the celebrations and so on. And they, usually the mothers, convince the children that, in fact, their Daddy's away and is writing to them. And some of them even go so far as to give the children presents and say yes to from daddy, you know, to keep the children happy. And they put on a terrific show for the children's sake. But I can just picture how many deserted wives on Christmas night cry themselves to sleep, particularly the first Christmas of their desertion, you know. On the practical level, this business of going into debt or higher purchase debt can lead to all sorts of spiralling effects which may indeed, you know, increase at the next Christmas following. Of course it does, and you also have the, the temptation, and this doesn't just apply to the deserted wife, it applies to any wife in need, financial need. There is a temptation there to shoplift, to bridge the gap for Christmas. There again, they want as much for their children as other children have, and there is a temptation to shoplift just to cover them for the Christmas. Unfortunately, some of these people get caught at this time. And uh, the penalties for shoplifting are, in fact, quite severe if they're imposed fully by the justices. Exactly, and this creates a complete crisis throughout the whole family then. You may find yourself, if the person, if the mother is eventually sent to jail, having to put the children in care as a result of 
financial pressure that was brought on the mother, probably through no fault of her own in the, ver- in the first instance. There's also a pressure on the deserted wife uh, from the relations, uh, pressure that they may not realise they're putting on her. There's an isolation for the deserted wife. There are many deserted wives this Christmas whose people, whose mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers, in fact, don't know the deserted. Because they have convinced the relatives also that he's away. And therefore the relatives are either not in touch with them at all and are totally isolated, or if they are in touch, are expecting their sister, who is, whom they don't know is deserted, to keep up the same standards as they have. And this is another problem. It's a very difficult thing for the deserted wife to reconcile herself to the fact that she's deserted and to mix around with her neighbours on that basis. They feel very embarrassed about neighbours knowing that, in fact, the husband has deserted them. It seems to them, I think, that it's a slight on them as a wife. Yes, there's a sense of transferred guilt, which may even be reinforced by neighbours and by relations. And as I say, this is an ongoing problem, but it's going to uh, increase at Christmas because of the sentimentality attached to Christmas. It's a festival for children, and they, you know, feel... It brings back memories to them, probably, of the very good times they had because most marriages that have broken up had their good parts too. You know, we're inclined to think that they only had the tragedies and the fights and the wife beating. But they must have... And the child beating. And the child beating. Is there an increase in that at Christmas? uh, In child beating, uh, certainly from our experience, uh, wife beating is, is on the increase here in Dublin. And if the husband is going to get drunk at Christmas, well, it's more likely to happen you know, when he's drunk. Uh, as regards instance of child being or battered babies, I've no statistics available at all. But it certainly can't be an easy time for the No, it can't wife. be an easy time, particularly uh, if the... You see, you have here the problem of not only the deserted wife, but the, the woman who, in fact, may be better off if she were deserted, the husband who is, in fact, at home and who has deserted in every other sense, that he's not supporting, he's not fulfilling his role as a father or as a husband. That's a hard thing to say at Christmas, a time which we dedicate to the family that some wives might be better off deserted. strata of misery, of poverty, of loneliness. In one part of this island, many people have more than one sort heaped upon them. A recent widower, for example, in Belfast, with eight children, the eldest two, both girls, who would help to cope with the situation at a time like Christmas, one is on remand, one in detention, and the other six still, perhaps, wondering when Mammy is coming. Christmas from, well, this past four years has been different, but to us it'll be different uh, because, uh, well, the mother's not in the house now, you know. And uh, the young ones will be, well, will feel that. Although, as I say, they uh, <clears throat> don't talk about the mother at all, you know. Uh, she was the one who uh, made Christmas for them. Was, you talked about Santa Claus and Daddy Christmas, they all knew it was the mother when what they were going to get. Well, she was the one who got it, knew what they needed, type of thing. 
And uh, not just justness, you know. I don't know if I'm just uh, speaking for the youngsters or speaking for myself. Is uh, I just can't think of anything else to would say uh, just now. You know what about Christmas dinner and that sort of thing. Well, uh, we have a young one here. We have two two girls in jail. You know, two of the oldest girls. One's nineteen now. The other was the other one's seventeen. And the girl of fifteen. She has uh, been looking after the house. We have a home help who won't be here on Christmas Day. And uh, well, actually, it'll be practically a double Christmas dinner because we have to make a Christmas dinner tonight to bring up to both the girls in Armagh tomorrow. And uh, they would like Christmas to be as near Christmas as it was in this house, you know, outside. And, uh, well, that'll all fall on the girl because I could hardly boil water, you know. And uh, she's, uh, she's more on my right arm, actually. That's more on. So, uh, well, she'll make that. And tomorrow again, we have a woman who comes in here, a good friend of ours, Mrs. Uh, Lawler and Mrs. Doherty down the street. Anything at all that we need, they're here practically before we ask any questions. But you think we, they knew what we needed and they were here immediately, you know? And, uh, well, we do have a turkey for the girls tomorrow. And uh, we have another one, which we won in a raffle. And, uh, well, we'll have that for ourselves for Christmas Day, you know? And, uh, well, on Christmas, uh, wife, hardly, well, she's... Didn't go to bed at all on Christmas Eve, you know. Stayed up Christmas Eve night and had everything ready for Christmas Day. And uh, I suppose it was something like that uh, this Christmas Eve. As a matter of fact, we're, we're only planning about that. We're only planning a Christmas turkey for our ma for tomorrow. So I suppose it'll be, as I say, it'll be nearly like two Christmas days for us, you know. One for the girls and uh, one for the family here, you know. The girls and our ma, it is. There are a lot of people around here who've lost somebody one way or another, internment or death or... Gosh, it's terrible, yes. Does it, do you think it draws them together at a time like this? Well, there's no doubt about it. Uh, to us, uh, the people, the neighbours coming along, uh, they have been uh, very, very friendly and very helpful and uh, they've come along with different things, you know, things that they think we might need. And uh, they've been very kind all over, you know. Not just with words of sympathy, but uh, practical help. And uh, to the other, the other people who, are, who have uh, sons, a couple around here who have sons lost, I don't even know the people at all, you know. And uh, they tell me that, uh, well, the people around here tell me that uh, they've been well enough looked after by, by their friends, I'll say, you know. A man looking forward last night to a well-looked-after Christmas. But it's not the same, no matter how good the food, how varied the presents. Even in a large family, one missing is one missing. And there in that Belfast household, there are three missing this Christmas. In hospitals, the face of sudden seasonal tragedy is seen. Uh, we will probably see here, over the Christmas period, uh, a mixture of road traffic accidents, people who take an overdose of drugs or alcohol, various forms of assault and acute illnesses such as heart attacks, uh, etc., strokes, things of this nature. Uh, the road traffic accidents, of course, increase greatly over the Christmas period, primarily due to uh, alcohol. They are either alcohol-caused or alcohol-assisted. And uh, the figures taken over a normal period would be uh, something approaching a fifth 
of accidents uh, are alcohol involved and this rises up to a third uh, after 10 p.m. and before 6 a.m. I would say this figure may go up as far as 40 percent over the Christmas period. Uh, there are also other problems uh, at Christmas of course uh, the lonely people who feel that they have nothing to live for they can't partake in the joyous nature of Christmas and unfortunately these people are, tend to take overdoses of tablets and any drugs that they can find and we see a lot of these poor people unconscious who are crying out making a gesture to uh, try and uh, somebody to help them in their plight. I don't think they're uh, really suicides as such, they are merely uh, self-destructive gestures as we call them uh, which are trying to highlight the problem that they have and nobody appears to be interested. Uh, the other acute illnesses also go up uh, over the Christmas period. Um, things like heart attacks, strokes, perforations of ulcers. People are eating and drinking too much and uh, in the case of heart attacks they probably overexert themselves and uh, strokes the similar reason. Perforations of ulcers are, of course, again, too much food and drink. People with ulcers don't stick to their diet and this type of thing. Uh, our workload on Christmas Eve, we would expect probably to receive about 50 ambulances during the evening of uh, Monday, and uh, of which probably a half of those people will need acute treatment. Uh, the remainder of them will be merely people who have been celebrating too viciously <laughs> and will require <laughs> sobering up <laughs> and nothing more. Um, how difficult is it um, if, you know, it's in a sense, if you think, think in terms of 50 ambulances, you can plan, half plan for 50, but if 10 come in together or 5 come in together? Uh, this is always our problem. Uh, uh, this is a point I, I always make. What we have got to try and do is gear up and staff up for our peak periods, even if it means inefficient running of a department for our slack periods. But what in fact happens is that our staff are run off their feet for this critical three or four hours uh, to try and cope. And after that then, uh, they are just working normally. But uh, it is extremely difficult to um, staff a department for a peak period of three hours out of 24. Uh, we try to do this and we will have extra staff on to cope with the, uh, the extra workload, uh, but uh, again, running a department such as this, one just has to wait and see what will happen. One staffs up for the busy period, the busy period never arrives and then you're in trouble. You've got people sitting around doing nothing. We've been talking about various types of dramatic loss and obvious loneliness, but there are ongoing and quieter, no, nonetheless serious forms of deprivation of the world outside and of the happiness that could be available at times like Christmas. 
Pat Lyons is General Secretary of the National League of the Blind. To what extent do blind people lose out on an occasion like Christmas? Well, it depends, Michal, on the way people view it. I wouldn't say that those of the blind who are fortunate enough to be employed lose out very much insofar as they have a regular income and therefore they can buy the necessities and the extra luxuries which are usually attributable to Christmas. But for the majority of blind people, they are entirely dependent on their blind pensions paid by the state and a small supplementary allowance paid by the various health boards. And in such cases, Christmas, I would feel fairly definite in saying, would be rather frugal. And do you think that uh, it makes very much difference in terms of the celebration and the festivity if they cannot take part in that does it make much difference whether they were born blind or whether they became blind oh I wouldn't think so only insofar as that those who became blind would remember the loss uh, realise the loss of their sight they'd remember having seen and they would remember the decorations and the fairy lights at Christmas and the tinsel and the the overall brightness that is uh, synonymous with Christmas. But for those of us who never could see, um, well, of course, personally, I'm in the fortunate position. I'm working and uh, I have a wife and two children. And I think where blind people are married and have children, it makes a tremendous difference. But I'm thinking in particular of the aged blind who form between 90 and 95 percent of the sightless population in Ireland. And for a great many of the, those people, Christmas is a lonely time. It's bound to be a lonely time. They're, they're elderly and possibly poor and also have no sight of what's going well, on. That's quite true, yes. Now, um, the organisation that I work for up to the end of this year, the National League of the Blind, uh, makes a point at Christmas of trying to distribute to as many blind people as possible some extra little financial benefits and within the past three weeks we distributed uh, a small monetary grant of about £5 in each case to 1,000 blind people throughout all parts of Ireland. Now there are some who would say it would be better to give £1 to 5,000 but uh, I think that anything less than £5 wouldn't be worth giving in this day and age, in this day of high prices and um, high living. So. Uh, we try to select those most in need uh, from throughout all Ireland and um, that's what we've been able to do in the last three weeks and in mainly, may I say, I take this opportunity of saying it's thanks to the generosity of the public throughout Ireland on behalf of the National League of the Blind I want to thank them for their generosity. But this is uh, only a once-off sort of thing. It's the sort of donation that you get when there's a, an obvious famine or a feast that some people are obviously excluded from. And does there is is there any way that you can see that the ongoing problem can be brought to people's minds other than by emphasising it at a time like Christmas? Um, it's it's difficult to say because. Uh, great number of people when they lose their sight depending on their age of course but they, they quite often feel that that to them is the end of the world and that life means nothing else for them especially if they're on in years and they've 
led a, an active life beforehand, as indeed most of them have. I think one of the great comforts to them is the wireless radio service, the wireless service which is carried out by the National Council for the Blind in the main. And uh, a wireless can mean a tremendous lot to a blind person. You know, it brings him or her into contact with the theatre and with sport and with the ordinary news bulletins, the equivalent of our newspaper and our theatre and our sports field, and everything uh, jammed into one. We've been talking about various types of loneliness and deprivation at Christmas. There are some three-quarters of a million people estimated to be, in one way or another, receiving some of the benefits that are given out by the social welfare, in the broadest sense, of this state. And we don't know how many others are suffering one way and another. Um, Frank Crummy, thinking about the sort of thing that somebody who is lonely or depressed at Christmas might turn to for relief, where can they turn other than to an organisation? They can, as uh, Pat Lyons said, at Christmas, which is a time when people will make a bigger effort to help those in need. They can uh, turn to, for instance, our society where the deserted wives and those in need receive you know, these mm. Christmas hampers. But thinking but outside of the organisational structure, what sort of things do you find that people do? Uh, they do very little in the sense that they are so busy trying to cope, you know, with their uh, social problem, with their need for finance, with their need for preparing for Christmas, that, as I say, it's usually an anticlimax as it either comes up to Christmas or just after Christmas. Some of these people will opt out, will attempt suicide, will take an overdose. They can't cope with the pressures of Christmas. But it's an ongoing problem, and we shouldn't just wait until Christmas to offer them a Christmas hamper. We should. This, to me, is crisis intervention at a particular time of the year. I think the emphasis will have to be on primary prevention. In other words, we should be trying to create a society where these uh, circumstances won't arise at the, in the, certainly in the numbers that they arise in today. And if we're to do that, we'll have to create society where men and women are much more capable of developing deep personal relationships with one another and not, as an awful lot of Irish men are finding it, impossible to live a married life with their wives and children. And this has many and varied reasons. I would suggest, for instance, that one step in the right direction could be a new Children's Act to make it easier for those like people in my society and in other societies interested in the welfare of children to produce more adequate adults in the years to come, where everything, all legislation seems to be working against us at the moment. I think also in the field of primary prevention we should be finding out why the Irish society is producing so many totally inadequate families. This could well be attributed to alcoholism, to uh, basic psychiatric problems or to there are a colossal number of sex and psychosexual problems in marriages that are causing the breakup in marriage. Mm. Well, what what is loneliness then? I mean, is is it a manifestation of some inadequacy in the person or inadequacy in the people around them? I I think everybody must feel uh, that they that someone, even one person, cares for them, and they must also feel fulfilled in what they're doing, whether this be as a 
housewife or as a husband or as a single person, they need to feel wanted and to feel fulfilled. There are so many people in Ireland who have reached the stage where they feel totally at a loss to what their function is in life. And this, to me, leads to all these other problems. They have no one who really cares, no one who loves them for themselves. Lack of a function in life, Pat Lyons, is that something that would worry a blind person, perhaps a deaf person as well? I would say that it would worry particularly the elderly blind. And the difficulty is that they live in isolation, many of them, in the um, rural areas. And therefore, they don't even come in contact with, shall I say, their fellow blind or anything like that. And they feel completely out on a limb, so to speak. I think in this respect, though, that a great tribute should be paid to the social workers attached to the National Council for the Blind, because they do magnificent work in this respect, visiting the blind people in the various counties in their homes. Well, there must be a feeling that um, this is somebody who does this because this is his job or her job. Um, does anybody love me just because I'm me? Well, I think the organisation, our own organisation, the National League of the Blind, uh, likes them, loves them, if you like to say it, because they're, because they're like ourselves, they're blind. We're an organisation of blind people, and when I write to them as General Secretary, I write to these people, and I would like to think that they regard me as a friend. A great many of them have never met me in person, but uh, I would like to think that they would regard me and the members of the committee which directs policy for the National League of the Blind as their friends, because that's what we want to be for all of them, and we like them to know in sending them whatever we're able to send them at Christmas, that here is a case at least where they're not forgotten. They may be isolated, they may be way up on Tory Island, as some 16 of them are, or they may be down in the far southwestern Kerry. Mm. But there, there, there is being remembered, there is the, the hand of organisational friendship extended to people, some of the people anyway, who are lonely at a time like Christmas. And most of us who are not, so, so to speak, institutionally lonely can go out and have a few convivial drinks, possibly more than we should have, with friends, with loved ones, with relations at Christmas. Do people who are lonely take to drink as a consolation at this sort of time of year? I'm sure some of them do, but uh, I think that in the case of the blind, which is the particular problem that I'm familiar with, uh, the people I'm speaking of now wouldn't really have that much money to spend on it. And of course, mm. at the same time, if people are overfond, well, they'll spend money even to their own detriment in buying proper nutritional things. I, did, yeah. I think there's a point here that, of course, there is a temptation to drink uh, at Christmas if you're lonely or depressed. But it so often happens that when a person is depressed, the friend will say, Yes, you know, let's go out, have a drink and snap out of your depression. And quite often they have failed to realise that the basis of the illness is the inability to snap out of their depression and that they're only going to uh, create a greater, uh, more grave situation by encouraging them to go out and have a drink to snap out of it. And while we, of course, congratulate all the social workers for the work they do, I think without the voluntary workers at a time like this, uh, certainly our society would be lost without the support of the voluntary workers who make up these extra 
Hampers. But all these, t- this talk about <coughs> social workers, voluntary workers, hampers, this is skimming the surface of a problem, of a of set of interrelated problems. Is it a change in the structure of society and the outlook of society towards people who are underprivileged in some way, disadvantaged in some way? Is that what we need? I believe if we have to solve this problem that I as a social worker come up against of the deserted wife, the husband who beats his wife, the husband who neglects his children. It's not just good enough to enter into the enter into it at a stage of crisis intervention at Christmas time and throughout the year. We have got to get to the basis of it and one of the steps in that direction as I say would be family courts and a new Children's Act and a new Adoption Act could go a long way towards uh, primary prevention. That that's one particular area, Pat Lyons. In your case, can we look to better medical services or a better structure of services for the uh, physically or sensually underprivileged? I think we can, uh, Michal. I think that's with the there's a new uh, awareness of social needs. I think manifesting itself in this country in recent years, and uh, I think that we can look forward to. Better days. I suppose it's unrealistic to say that people won't be lonely because loneliness, even if you have millions, you can be very lonely. In fact, you can be a very lonely person and be comparatively comfortable or well off because loneliness often comes from your memories and that sort of thing. Memories of past Christmases in this case and memories of ones near and dear to you who are no longer with you and memories of people suffering whom you'd like to be able to do something for but physically can't or for one reason or another can't but I think that uh, one of the things which lifts up one is the spirit of giving at Christmas helping someone else who is less fortunate than yourself I, I think at Christmas time Pat you'll agree with me that even at a party quite a lot of these people who appear to be enjoying themselves are quite lonely people although as you said they're in a crowd too true Frank they just put on a face you know. exactly This Christmas, through next year and beyond, somebody loves you and somebody needs your love. God rest ye merry, gentlemen. <laughs>